Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was talking about Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, where it says that the law could not do something because it was weak through our flesh, and God did this by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I was explaining that people often look at the law and they believe that if we can somehow live in obedience to the law, if we can fulfill the requirements of the law, which is to obey or die, if we can fulfill the requirements in ourselves, then God will bless us in return. He will reward us in return. He will do something to intervene in our lives and ensure that we are properly blessed for our accomplishments. And yet this requirement requires us to do it all, not just some, but to do it all. And so I was explaining that the effect of that is to understand that there is no way that we can do it all. And so if it is going to be fulfilled, we're going to have to fulfill the other option of the law. The first option is do it. The second option is die. We certainly cannot die on our own behalf. Our lives aren't worth giving. But the life of God... Jesus, manifested in the flesh, was definitely worth the sins of humanity, and our God accepted that as a measure or as a means of fulfilling the requirements of the law, that you either do or die. He did the law on his own behalf, and then he died on our behalf. Now, in verse 4, he mentions walking in the flesh, or walking according to the flesh. Again, in verse 4, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And then he follows up and talks about the flesh even more. Now, it's very easy to assume that when he says, walking according to the flesh, that he means that people are walking according to their sin. It's very easy to assume that, to believe that he's talking about people who are committing sin. If they are doing that, then they are definitely not fulfilling the requirements of the law, and so we need to get people to walk according to the Spirit. But what does that mean, to walk according to the Spirit? What what does that really mean? Does that mean that you now try to live in obedience to the law with greater effort, with greater commitment? Is that what that means? That's what many people believe, yes. Many people believe that you can fulfill the requirements of the law if you walk with greater enthusiasm, greater commitment, greater devotion, and trust that God will find some way to work in your flesh so that you will be able to say no to sin and you will be able to say yes to the works of righteousness. This is what a lot of people are teaching. But I do not believe that that's the case because of what he wrote in Romans chapter 6 and 7. What he wrote in the previous chapters was that the law stirs up sin, that if you are going to attempt to live according to the law, then you are going to have an increase of sin in your life because you were not created 
to live according to the law. For example, in Romans chapter 6, verse 14, he says, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. So what people do is they put themselves back under the law with greater enthusiasm, only to find that they're making themselves a greater slave of sin than what they probably were before. They redouble their efforts after losing sight of the goal, and they become what a lot of people refer to as religious fanatics. Rightly so, because we were not created to live that way. There is a law of God, and there is a law of sin. But the law of sin is the law that defines sin. It's the law that God gave. It is a law of God, absolutely. But it is a law that was given for a purpose other than getting us to stop sinning. It wasn't given for that reason. People continue to look to the law for that purpose, to try to get themselves to stop sinning, to get their flesh under control. But it was not given for that reason. That is a deception to believe that it was given for that reason. It was given in order to make the situation worse, not to improve the situation, not to make it better. That is a law of God. But the law of God that Paul is referring to is the law of the gospel, the law of the spirit of life. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 25, it says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. And then in chapter 8 verse 1, it says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now listen, if there is no condemnation anymore, then does this sound like the law that was given through Moses to you? No, this is not it. To say that there is no condemnation is to say something entirely different. Because the law that was given through Moses was given for the purpose to condemn. That's what it was given for. In verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. So that's how God resolved the issue. He resolved the issue by fulfilling the requirements of the law by dying for our sins. That's how he did it. So you need to understand that the law that God gave through Moses is definitely the law of God, but that is the law of sin. That is the law of the flesh. That is the law that leads to more sin, that increases the indulgence of the flesh. But the other law, the law of the Spirit, is about the restoration of the Holy Spirit to his creation that had been lost in Adam. And that is not only accomplished, but it is also permanent because of the complete forgiveness of sins. So when he says in verse 5, for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, what do you suppose he's talking about in this context? Do you suppose he's talking about people who put their minds on all those wicked, evil things that deep down inside they really want to do, but they are ashamed to do it? No, that's not what he's talking about. He is talking about the law that was defined by Moses that is totally preoccupied with and consumed with the issues related to the flesh. The law that God gave through Moses is called the law of sin. It is called the law of the flesh. It is The law that stirs up more sin, it is the law that gets your attention focused on your flesh. If you read through the law, you'll discover that it's all about your flesh. There is nothing in there about your spirit. There is nothing in there about your heart. 
except to show that your heart is not where it needs to be, but there is nothing there that will help you deal with the issues of your heart, that will fulfill the deepest needs of your heart. There is nothing there in the law that says anything about knowing your God under any circumstances, under any arrangements, under any situations, regardless of what you do or don't do. It is not there. It wasn't given for that reason. There was no law that was given that said if you would obey, you would be resurrected. No law was given to say that if you obey, you will receive the Holy Spirit that was lost in Adam. That was addressed in a whole different context, in a completely different law, in a completely different way, in a completely different set of circumstances. They are two completely different laws. So, when a person becomes preoccupied with the things of their flesh, when they walk according to the flesh, or when they set their minds on the things of the flesh, what are they setting their mind on? They are setting their mind on the law. On the law. It's easy to read through these verses and assume that he's talking about somebody just abandoning any acknowledgement of the existence of God at all and just indulging their flesh in the world. It's easy to assume that that's what it means to walk according to the flesh. And in some ways, that's true. But not in this context. That's not what he's talking about. He is talking about people who walk according to the law. Again, Paul is talking about people who walk according to the law when he talks about people walking according to their flesh. Because that's what the law is. It's all about your flesh. There is nothing in there about your spirit. He said that the requirements of the law were fulfilled. Well, if that's true, then what are you doing going back to the law? To fulfill more requirements? Yeah, a lot of people think that. A lot of people believe that. I do not. I do not believe that, but that's what people are doing. That's what people are thinking. They assume that that's the case. There is something entirely different, totally different. And he refers to that as walking according to the Spirit. If you will walk according to the Spirit, then you will experience something totally different. Again, in Romans chapter 8, verse 5, it says, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. So, what does it mean to set your mind on the flesh, according to the law? And what does it mean to set your mind on the things of the Spirit, according to the law of the Spirit of life? What is the difference? Well, there's a huge difference. The problem is that people generally do not know what it means to set your mind on the Spirit, and so it can become very difficult to try to explain the differences, but there are some very important differences. First of all, how could the mind set on the flesh lead to death? How does that happen? Well, it's very simple. Because there is no peace there at all. There is no rest there at all. There is nothing there but death. Because when you put your mind on your flesh to try to get your flesh under control, you will fail. No matter how hard you try, you will fail. There is nothing there. So what does it mean to put your mind on the Spirit? Now this can be very difficult for some people. Because a lot of people assume setting your mind on the Spirit with regards to life and peace means that you can now commit sin without feeling guilty and without any remorse, and so go ahead and just get out there and indulge your flesh. 
I do not believe that that is what he's referring to in any way whatsoever. I just don't believe that at all. But I understand that there are a lot of people who do believe that that's what it means to set your mind on the Spirit. Just put your mind on the Spirit and be thankful for forgiveness. Be thankful that God loves you and just get out there and just love people and accept people and don't think about sin and don't think about the law and everything will work out just fine. And I do not believe that. I really don't. I believe that he has called us to himself for another reason, not for that reason. People do embrace that, and I understand that. And I want you to know that I am not going to stop telling the truth because I am afraid people will misuse the truth, that they will use the truth for a purpose that he never intended for, in this case, as an excuse to sin. I'm not going to stop telling the truth just because some people abuse God in that way. That's their problem, not mine. I believe that he has set us free from the law, that he no longer holds our sins against us anymore so that he can love us. Now, to love us and to accept us, there has to be an understanding. There has to be a recognition that, first of all, he is fully aware of the sins that we have had and the sins that we continue to have and struggle with. I believe he has to be fully aware that he should not live in denial of reality, that God should relate to us with a full understanding and recognition of the sins that we have and the sins that we struggle with. I really do believe that. But the fact is, is that he does not require us to compensate him for that. Now, in the midst of that, we can turn to him and we can really appreciate his love for us because of that. We can really appreciate his acceptance for us in the midst of that. And if our attitude is one of not wanting to do those things that are evil, if our attitude, if our belief is that that is evil and that we admit and confess that that's the case whenever the issue is brought up, if we also do not live in denial of reality and we turn to him with this understanding, then I believe that we can be at rest in a true sense, that we can say, yes, God loves me, and this is why. Now, what happens in life is that we get tempted to commit sin. That's just part of life. You're in the world. The world is filled with opportunities to tempt you. But there's a reason why you are tempted. The reason why you are tempted is because you have needs. You have deep-rooted needs. You have a need for love. You have a need for acceptance, for meaning and purpose in your life. These are needs that you have that you were created to have. God made you to have these needs. What we have been called to do is to turn to our God to meet these needs. We are to turn to him so that he will love us and he will accept us. Now, very few people will make that step. Very few people, apparently, will actually do that. Instead, what they do is they embrace forgiveness, and then they go back into the world to get their love and acceptance through their indulgence of their flesh, through their commission of sin. That's not why he provided for forgiveness. He provided for forgiveness so that we could be the recipients of his love, not the world's love. So if we will turn to him for who he is and we will receive what he has for us in that context, then we will be at peace. Then we will be at rest and then we will begin to experience the life that he truly has for us. And until then, we will not even get started in the life that he has called us to. We won't even get started. So this is why I say it is so important for a person to be loved by their God and to know their God, because if they don't, they will never begin to walk in the newness of life that they have been called to.
So, once you have been set free from the law of sin, the law of the flesh, and you get your mind off those issues and concerns related to the flesh, such as repentance and obedience, once you do that, sure, you've got the option to just go back into the world and just ignore everything about your God entirely, but that's not why he did that. He set you free so that you can put your mind on the things of the Spirit, on the things of Him, on who He is. And you begin with being loved by your God. You begin with being accepted by your God. And when you rest in His love and His acceptance, you will say no to sin. Not always, I understand that, but when your mind is on the things of the Spirit, when your mind is on the things of what you have received from your God, when you are resting in what you have, when you are living out of the abundance of what you already have, everything that you need for life and godliness, which is your God in you, when your mind is properly placed and when you are believing and trusting in Him, saying no to sin becomes trivial. Absolutely trivial, because it's a lie to begin with, and it will be more apparent when you are confronted with it in the situations and in the circumstances when you are resting in your God. So we are to walk. We are to walk in our lives. We are not to just sit around and do nothing and just pray and just close our eyes and pretend that the world doesn't exist. We are not to do that. We are to go out and engage the world. But instead of engaging the world, hoping to get something out of the world, we are to engage the world with what we have been given by our God. And that is how we live. Before you knew the Lord, you lived by going out into the world trying to get whatever you thought would satisfy the deepest needs of your heart. Only to discover upon salvation, you recognized, you discovered, you now understand that there is nothing, absolutely nothing in the world that will meet the deepest needs of your heart. The only thing that will ever meet the deepest needs of your heart is your God, Him, and Him alone. So when you engage the world now, you engage it. You get out there and you walk in your life. You do whatever you can. You live however you can, but you do that with your God who is with you. And when you walk with the abundance of what you have and you walk with Him, with you, you will engage the world in a very different way. There's a big difference between going out into the world to share what you have received and going out into the world hoping that someone in the world will share with you what they have. There's a big difference between the two, and that, to me, is the difference between walking according to the flesh when it comes to trying to live a life of repentance and obedience to the law, and walking according to the Spirit, which has to do with living according to what He has already done for you, what He has already given to you, and who He is to you, with you as you together engage the world that you are a part of. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit, and you will find life and peace. You will have life and peace with your God. But if you put your mind on the things of the flesh, which in this case, in this context, has to do with the law, repentance, obedience, trying to get your flesh under control, if you set your mind on the things of your flesh then you are going to be taken away from the love of God, from the acceptance of God. How long do you suppose it's going to take before you realize that you have failed, 
when you try to walk according to the flesh. How long will it take? That will happen. It will eventually take place. And what is the end result of that? You failed. You sinned. You evil person, you. How could God accept you? How could he tolerate you? How could he love you? Do you understand how you are no longer resting in the love of God and you have no peace with him at all because of what you did? That's what you're going to believe. That's what you're going to think. It is not true because of what he has already accomplished. But it's so easy for a Christian to be deceived by the law that God gave. First of all, because there is an abundance of Christians who are out there telling people that that's how they're supposed to live. But don't think it's all their fault because it's not. Because there is a devil. And that was the original lie that he used to kill Adam and Eve to begin with. And if you have been resurrected, you are a target. And he wants to kill you too. He wants to kill you. The devil is after you. And he knows that he's not going to be able to kill you like he did with Adam and Eve. But... He can paralyze you. He can immobilize you. He can put you in a position where you are so condemned by your failure and by your sin that there is no room for the love of God or the acceptance of God in your life at all. And when he does that and he succeeds, you're done. You're finished. You have been paralyzed until you believe the truth of what he has already accomplished. Only then... Will you be able to walk according to the Spirit? Again, starting in verse 4, Romans chapter 8, verse 4, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. In verse 6, for the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. When you set your mind on the law of the flesh, the law of sin and death, it is hostile toward God. You are hostile toward God because you do not believe, you do not recognize that you cannot live that way. You don't believe it. You think you can. It does not subject itself to the law of God because the law of God says it's over. He forgave all sins and there is no place for that when you think that you can stop sinning out of the energy of your flesh. There's no place for that. It cannot be subject to that when you use it in that way. For it is not even able to do so. And then in verse 8, And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Cannot please God. So, how could you be in the flesh? Well, of course, if you're just going out into the world, engaging in sin without any acknowledgement of the existence of God at all, you're definitely not pleasing God, that's for sure. But what if you do acknowledge the existence of God, and you do acknowledge His law, His law of righteousness? Does that mean you're going to please God? Do you think you're going to be pleasing to God? Try it out. Give it a try. Let's see how well you do. If you repent totally and you obey completely, if you totally repent and completely obey, if you find a way to live a life that is totally sinless, if you accomplish that, then are you going to be able to claim that you are pleasing to God because of what you did? No, because if you manage to find some way to do all of that, you can still 
not know the Lord? What makes you think you know the Lord just because you got your flesh under control, assuming that you managed to do that? Of course, since no one can, no one is ever going to reach that point. But if this is the goal, if this is what people are trying to aspire to, then let's assume what's it going to look like if somebody actually accomplishes it. It's going to be nothing. It's going to be death. That's what it's going to be. Because he never gave the law so that you might know who he is. And do you think it's pleasing to him that nobody knows who he is? Do you think he likes that? Do you think that if you find some way to get your flesh under control so that you don't sin, that you're pleasing to him even though you don't know who he is? No. He wants us to know him. He wants us to know him. He wants to know us. And he wants to live with us as we live with him. That's what he wants. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God because they are preoccupied with themselves. They are preoccupied with their repentance and obedience so that they might have something to boast about. They believe that if they can live this sinless life that they claim that he has called them to, they believe that maybe he'll like them because of what they do. But there is no way that he will ever accept anyone because of what they do or because of what they don't do. The only acceptance of God is first through his forgiveness and second through the resurrection that is accomplished through the indwelling presence of his spirit within you. That is what will please him, that you will believe in what he has done. You must believe that he has fulfilled the requirements of the law. You must believe that he no longer holds your sins against you. And you must believe that he loves you and that he accepts you. And with that, he will be pleased because he knows full well that if a person will believe these things, he knows the change and transformation this individual will be able to experience when they rest and trust in these truths. But remember that the most important thing is not to be preoccupied with whether or not you are pleasing to God. He has not called you for that purpose. He has not created you for that purpose. He created you so that you can know who He is. And when you believe Him and you trust Him, yes, He will be pleased. But there is so much more than just whether or not you're pleasing God. There is much more. There is an opportunity for you to know him, for him to know you, and for him to reveal himself within and through you. These are the things that I believe are important to him. Turn to him and his revelation will be clear to you. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net there can be-